0: emotions. We all got them. question is, what are we going to do with them? That's the big problem of today, isn't it? I think of knowing what we're going to do with all of these emotions we're feeling, all of these things that seem to be out of control. Thanks, Katie, for your prayer there. I think the situations in our world have especially led many of us to have different types of emotions, intensities of emotions perhaps, than we have typically felt. I think the drain of the last couple years has left a lot of us uh, with emotions running high, but the ability to maintain them running a little bit lower than usual. I know there's been a lot of times over the last number of months where I've sort of reacted to something, and then it's a couple hours or days later when I sort of look back and I'm like, what on earth was going on there? Or sometimes someone close to me will give me a gentle reminder and I go, oh yeah, I should be here in this place, not wherever my heart was leading me in that time. I don't think I'm alone, am I? No, good. I'm glad, because uh, otherwise it was going to be a long five weeks uh, as we start our new series. But we're going into a new series for the next uh, five weeks, including this week, uh, talking about our emotions. Now, this is going to be a little bit different than what we normally do. Typically, as a church, we study sections of Scripture, verse by verse, sort of chapter by chapter. But we wanted to take a pause from that for a little while to sort of dive into this important topic because I think that it's something that often gets overlooked. It's something that we sometimes don't really give all that much attention to, particularly in our sort of vein of churches. And so I want us to take some time to consider our emotions and what we are going to do with them. What are they for? How should we respond in light of them? Uh, Thanks, Katie, for reading that passage, but I had Katie read Psalm 139 because what I love about that passage is that King David, who wrote that psalm, was an emotional guy, and in the midst of all the emotion that he faced, he would often take time to stop and sort of wrestle through those emotions and then acknowledge who God is and who he is in light of God. That particular psalm, what is very powerful about it is that David talks about the intimacy in with which God knows us, that he knows us intimately, that he knitted us together, that he created us purposefully, wonderfully, and he's given us an opportunity to have him know us on a deeper level and to guide us. In the last verse, David says, search me and know me and then lead me in the way of the everlasting. This is important because when we were created, we were given our emotions. But I think for a lot of us, we look at our emotions and go, what good are these? Come on, God, why did you give me maybe this one set of emotions or this one particular emotion that I keep getting hung up on? But we must remember that our emotions were designed into us. They were given to us so that God could know us, so that we could know God. And they are a very good thing. When God created mankind, he didn't look down and go, whoops, I accidentally poured in too much emotion. He looked and he said, this is very good. And so we're going to talk about these emotions that sometimes run wild, sometimes need to be refined, and some of the emotions that need to be celebrated and cultivated a little bit more so that we can experience more of what God intended us to experience. We believe as a church, as a people who study the scripture, that that God wants the flourishing of each and every individual that he has made in the way that he made them, and so clearly God must want us to flourish when it comes to our emotions. But to begin, we, of course, have to start with the, the very basic question, which I know seems really simple, but the question is, what is an emotion? What is an emotion? Well, an emotion is a response to something happening in our world or within ourselves. What an emotion is, is a type of judgment of the experience and situation we are going through in a certain instant. Sometimes emotions can last for a long time. Sometimes they can be very brief. Emotions aren't, or all feelings aren't emotions, but almost every emotion exhibits and encourages us to have some sort of feeling. Our emotions are incredibly powerful. They have the opportunity to shape the way that we think, and the way that we act. But unlike what many people believe about emotion, scripture teaches us that an emotion isn't just some animalistic, primitive instinct that should be embraced or ignored. It's not something that is perfect or uncontrollable. Our emotions are judgments and dispositions towards these things which are not always correct, which are not uncontrollable, And they aren't things that should just lead us willy-nilly. Instead, what emotions are is vital indicators about what we really think, even if we can't put words to it. At worst, emotions can lead us towards a very unhealthy pattern of life. They can twist our sense of reality to be something which is not true at all. And they can drive us to a place where it allows others to manipulate us. Just look at marketing. Really good marketers play off your emotions. Colors, words, music, smells, those things are used to manipulate us. The same is true of God's enemy. But at their best... Emotions are a wonderful thing which can drive us towards God. They can be cultivated to bring about the flourishing that God intended for us. They can be used to also affect those with whom we live and work and play. The Bible's full of emotion. Now, it's not to say that the Bible says the word emotion over and over and over, but it does talk about a God who has emotion, people who have emotion, and a world that is filled with different ways of being and feeling and thinking and acting. If you were to study your Bible to look up emotion, I would encourage you to look for words like heart, passion, desire, affection. These are the words the ancient scriptures use to talk about what we feel and how we judge and perceive the world and what's going on around us. God continually calls throughout Scripture from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation for people to turn their hearts towards him. He's talking about their emotions, about our passions, about what we have affection for. In doing this, God also makes a promise that when we turn our emotions and cultivate them for his purposes, that we will grow closer to him, that we will become more like him, and that we will bring him more glory, honor, and praise. So as a follower of Jesus, if we pay close attention to the Bible, we need to pay close attention to what it says about our emotions. And so as we go through the next number of weeks leading towards Easter, we're going to be looking at a number of our core emotions. These are emotions that everyone feels, experts in all sorts of different fields all agree that these are our core emotions. We're going to look at joy, fear and shame, sorrow and grief, and anger. While there's many other emotions that we can experience, each one of these is tied to those different emotions. And so we're going to look at at what those things were given to us for. Why did God build that emotion into us? How they can go wrong, but also how they can be cultivated for good, healthy, godly living. My hope is that as we go through this series, we'll be able to get a greater sense of control of what's running wild within us as we react to what's going on in the world around us. As we seek to follow Jesus, we would have a sense of which way to go emotionally. My hope is that by the end of this series, if we take the scriptures seriously, that we will come to a better place of emotional and mental and spiritual health. But before we do that, we have to look at two facts and two potential pitfalls. So there's two things that we just have to base all of this upon and that we believe are two important facts found in Scripture. And then we have to look at two things where we can potentially go astray. And then after we look at those, we're going to, this morning, look at some of the basic principles, the basic avenue by which we're going to begin managing our emotions, and then we'll use that carried on throughout the weeks to discuss those different emotions we might be feeling. But let's start with these two facts. There's two important things that we have to understand that Scripture tells us about our emotions. And the first one is, God has emotion. There's actually a lot of people who believe that God's not really emotional that he is disconnected from our world, that he doesn't understand the ways that we think and feel and how we perceive things, but that is just flat out untrue. There's actually some church confessions which say that God does not exhibit this, and we want to deny that because I think that's a clear misreading of scripture. In fact, if you look at what scripture says, you will almost always find when it's God's talking about himself or how he's interacting, that there will be some type of emotional connection. Right at the beginning, in Genesis chapter 6, we read that God spends grief over sin. Mankind has just rebelled against him, and so he experiences an overwhelming sense of grief at what has happened. In Proverbs chapter 6, we read that God experiences disgust. It says that there are six things which God hates more than any other. In Isaiah 42, we read the opposite in our minds of emotion and that God delights in his son. In Zephaniah chapter 3, we read that God takes joy in his people. And these are all the things that we see about God the Father in the Old Testament. But then when we move forward into the New Testament, where we see Jesus who's come to earth to be God in the flesh, living and walking among us, we see that he's full of emotion. He experiences joy and anger and grief. He experiences fear. And all of these things not in the way that we perhaps feel them, because he does so sinlessly, but God experiences emotion. The whole story about what we celebrate about the good news of Jesus is all founded in emotion. We know that God is a God of jealousy and wrath and justice. And because people go against him and break his order and the way that he has created things, he exacts judgment. And he will punish those who do, not, who do wrong who do not return to him. But out of his love, God has extended us away to to be adopted into family, to experience joy and peace and hope and love. And he's done that by coming to earth in the flesh as Jesus to die on the cross, to rise again so that if we put our faith and trust in him, we might receive all of those things. This is an important place for us to start because a lot of us look at emotions as a dirty thing. There's something we kind of want to stay away from. There's something that we don't really want to have to do with our own emotions sometimes and we don't want to have to do with other people's emotions because we think that they're bad. But if God exhibits emotion, it cannot be bad. The two things can't work together. Emotions can't be bad and God be good. If God is good, emotion is good as well. And so emotions are a good thing. And in fact, we should be excited about this because relationships really suck with no emotion. But if God's emotional and he's given us emotion, then we can have a flourishing and life-giving relationship with him. And so the, truth, the first truth is that God has emotions. And the second truth that follows is that emotions must be a gift from God because we get to experience this relationship with him also we know right from the beginning in genesis chapter 3 we're told that we are made in the image of god in the psalm that katie read we read that we are fearfully and wonderfully made knit together in our mother's womb and in doing so what god did is he put some of himself some of his image into us And that's our emotions. That's a part of what we do. And so our emotions, what they are, is an opportunity to reflect who God is. They're an opportunity as we understand them and cultivate them and learn to manage them. They're an opportunity for us to understand God more and to become more like him in the world as we are his example in following him. And so emotions are good. Because God is good. And he's graciously given them to us. But while emotions are good, there's two potential pitfalls that might come as we wrestle through emotions in Scripture and as we perhaps view emotions in and of ourselves. And the pitfalls are these. The first one is that we might spend too much time focusing on emotion. This is called emotionalism, where we give all the power in our life to our emotions We all know the individual who allows their emotions to be the be-all, end-all for every decision they make. And sometimes they're like a ping-pong ball. (laughs) They're over here because they're feeling this, they're over there because they're feeling that, then they're over here, then they're over there, then they're over here, then they're over here, and they're just tossed around foolishly by their emotions. There's a lot of us who have been taught by our culture and a lot of the pop psychology of today that our feelings are always right, therefore do whatever your feelings say. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Well, this is a problem, and we all know it. Even if we live our lives that way, if we stop to think about it, We've all had that experience where we've lived out of our emotion and we've acted out of it and then afterwards stopped and really regretted it. Have you been there? Been there way too many times. Way too many times. But we know that this can be a problem. But there's also the problem on the other side of things. It's not emotionalism, it's stoicism. We know stoics, right? The people who are almost emotionless. They're all about facts and logics and they sort of disregard feeling. They say, ah, that's something else. What's really good is to actually live with an iron will and base everything on reason. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we throw out logic and reason, but the problem is if we base everything on that, we lose the fullness of life. Our lives were meant to be lived in color. If we live just on fact and logic and reason, we lose the color and we live in black and white. And that does not live to a flourishing life because if we avoid the emotion that God has given and that he exhibits, we can never truly know him and what it looks like to live with him. And so we have to avoid both of these two extremes. We have to avoid being an emotionalist and just tossed around by our emotions, giving credence to everything when we know even it might be wrong. And then we have to avoid cutting out emotion altogether. There's something in between. Alistair Groves writes this. He writes, Our emotions are neither the most important thing about us, as in something to be worshipped, nor are they the least important, a problem to be avoided or ignored. If our emotions are given to us to reveal who God is and help us to understand what we worship and how we respond to things, then if they're given to us to tell us how we judge and perceive the world, even beyond what we initially think, then they're here to be good. But we all know they don't go perfect. But I want you to stop for just a second and ask yourself, which way do I lean? Are you an emotionalist or are you a stoic? Where do you land? You don't have to be on one full extreme or the other, but where do you land? I often can end up on the emotionalism side. I react and, and, and go out of my emotion before I stop and think. Where do you land? This is an important question to ask ourselves because if we're going to learn what Scripture has to say, we have to understand the reference point from which we're coming. Scripture is absolutely true and it's going to guide us in some principles, but we're going to have a propensity to view things a certain way and to have a certain bias and until we can name that as we approach our emotions, we'll never fully be able to deal with it. One's not better than the other, but where do you tend to lead? This is a question that's not important just for uh, us individually, but also for us as a church family. Different church expressions have different advantages and disadvantages. There's things that they understand from a little bit more of a clear perspective of, about God and worshiping him over here, and there's others who understand it from over here. But there's also very far-ended extremes. There are some people who believe that church should be all about an ocean of emotion. It should be connecting with God is an emotional experience. And if I don't feel really good about how church went, if I didn't feel like I got goosebumps, then I didn't have an opportunity to experience God. This leads to a wholly unhealthy consumeristic culture and it leads to a very unstable faith. Because sometimes as we need to mature, we need to go through tough stuff. Sometimes as we need to learn to grow, we need to go through dry seasons so that we learn to feed ourselves. If we're going to give up when the emotion doesn't feel right, we're going to give up on our faith all too easily but on the other hand we can experience the problem when we focus on everything else we have church traditions much like our own which generally tends more towards stoicism we like to think about theology and doctrine and wrestle through those things and and don't get me wrong they're wonderful things but sometimes we can make all of christian living about the head not the heart But when our thinking becomes the God of our life, God's not really in control of our life. When our emotions become the God of our life, God's not really the God of our life. I think the problem for us, generally speaking, and this is broadly speaking, I'm not going to name it for each one of you, but generally speaking is to trend towards this place where our faith is about our intellect and it's very little about our heart. But when we do that, we miss out on the fullness of how God calls us to love Him. Jesus tells us and reiterates a command that's found in Deuteronomy where He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need all of these components to fully embrace what God has done. As a church, and I have to repent of I had to repent of this even last night as I was thinking about this sermon, I have done an injustice in the church to focus more on head than heart. Because sometimes the temptation is to mine scripture for principles. It's to mine scripture for knowing how to act and do, and it becomes about heady knowledge and moralistic teaching, but in and of that, we rob ourselves of seeing who God is. God cares about how we think and how we act, but he also cares about how we feel. The reason that God seems so distant and dead to so many of us is we've left, script, uh, left the emotion in the pages of Scripture and never pulled them out. And so we need to embrace all of these things. We need to allow ourselves to not just think, but to feel and then to act out of those things. So I ask you again, which way do you tend to lean? What pitfalls might you face as we consider the topic of emotions? Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. That's our warning how we might come at this initially with our perception, we might feel is right, but if we're not very careful and if we don't hear all of what God wants to say to us, to our biases, to our way of thinking, we're going to end up missing out on the fullness of life that God has to offer. That's death. So what are our emotions for? They're a gift of God which helps us gauge the world so we can know how to respond to him. They help us live a flourishing life if we cultivate it, if we channel it, if we embrace it, so that we can experience all he wants for life and faith within us. And we know this. We know that ultimately an emotion is just an internal response. We feel love when we desire another person. It doesn't always mean that that's the person we should be in a relationship with. We feel disgust when someone offers us cauliflower instead of pizza, (laughs) because we want that pizza, even if we know the cauliflower is what our body really needs. We get angry when we suffer because we presume life should be a certain way, when really, perhaps we're learning what we need most. We feel shame when what we've done is wrong, and we embrace that instead of learning to correct and go in the way that is right. We can feel joy when things are dark, when we learn to embrace what we can truly hope in. Our emotions aren't something that is bad, it's not something that should be rejected, they're not always positive, they're not always negative. They're an indicator that God has given us to help us follow him. And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to explore these topics. But today I want to give us three basic things that we can do as we begin to talk about managing our emotions. And the three things are this. We need to know and name our emotions, we need to challenge our emotions, and we need to prepare for our emotions. So the first thing we need to do is be able to know and name our emotions. A study was done on the impact of the emotions and emotional intelligence of high-powered business leaders in their workplaces. And it was discovered that only 36% of high-powered business leaders were able to accurately identify their emotions as they happened. Now, correlate that to the data, which indicates that our success in a workplace is 58% dependent on how we deal with our emotions. There was a big out-of-whack sort of thing going on there. And I'm not going to tell you how to apply this to your workplace, but I give you that to ask how well do you understand your emotions as you experience them? Go on. What, are you, what emotion are you experiencing right now? Everyone got it? If you said hungry or tired, by the way, which is usually one of the responses, you're wrong. Those aren't emotions. They are feelings. They're something that comes from our internal drives, but they're not our emotions. It's really hard when we actually think about it. We can laugh about those people. We can laugh at ourselves. But it's really hard to know what emotions we're feeling in every moment. Have you ever had a friend or a loved one ask you what you're feeling? They're like, uh... Something? (laughs) I don't know what it is, though. This is an important thing for us to figure because we can't know how to manage our emotion until we can name it. So how do we name it? How do we name it? That's an important question because we need to know. Well, we have to ask ourselves, what are we feeling? How often do you ask yourself that question? I don't ask myself that question nearly enough. Ask yourself, what am I feeling? And then explore it. For most of us, we'll end up with a superficial answer for what we're feeling. You might know this when you've been in a fight with your spouse. I've been here. I lash out in anger about something. But when I start to think about why I'm lashing out in anger, anger isn't my primary emotion. It might be fear. Perhaps I'm lashing out in anger because I fear that my partner will be sensing that I'm inadequate, or be bored of me, or be frustrated with me, and I fear the negative emotion that they're expre- that I think they're expressing towards me. So what do I do? I act out in anger. Why do I act out in anger? Because if I make them feel bad, they're less likely to feel those negative feelings towards me in that sense. These things happen all the time. We feel sad at work. We come home from work, feeling really down. But really, when we explore that feeling, it's because we actually have some level of shame that we don't know what we're doing at our job, or we know that we're kind of just barely scraping by in this certain area, and we're unwilling to reveal our weakness to our coworkers. And so instead, what we do is we mask that with a little bit of sadness when we get home, <coughs> Excuse me. so we can comfort you and move on. Ask yourself, what are you feeling? And begin to mind that. That'll be helpful. This is also helpful because as psycholo- psychologists have proven, most of us have one or two dominant emotions. They call it an emotional style. Our emotional style is how we generally respond during a certain season of our life towards almost everything. For some people, this will be anxiety. For others right now, it might be anger. Maybe it's grief and sorrow. But if you start to ask yourself how you're feeling and mind that and continue to track that, what you will find is that you have a dominant emotional style. How is that helpful? Well, it's helpful because it tells us where God needs to be at work. It's helpful because it tells us where we need to reorient our lives to worship God or become more like him. It's not to say that those feelings are wrong. It's simply to say that they can help us discover him more. So ask yourself and track yourself. And third, identify your triggers. We use this word a lot and it gets thrown around and almost gets abused in today and age. And so I don't want you to read too deep into that, but I want you to really think about that for what it is. Have you ever smelled something and it takes you back to childhood? Yeah, Yeah, right, mom's home cooking. Maybe it was great, maybe it was terrible. But that smell, it takes you back there. We all know sometimes someone touches us a certain way and maybe it gives you that negative reaction and takes you back to sometimes someone hurt you. Sometimes there's a taste or a smell or a touch or something we see or something we hear that takes us back to something. It's triggering certain emotions. Learning to resolve those things is an important part of our healing and our wholeness and our becoming more and more like Christ. As we begin to understand the triggers and the emotions that are tied to them, we are able to then take something and surrender it over to God. That's the second thing in managing our emotions is we don't just take our emotions as they are, we challenge them. This is a helpful thing to do. In Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six, what do we read? We read this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not. In your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. In our church tradition, we normally take that as being like, give God the path of knowing the right thing so that it ends up somewhere. But if you actually listen and you understand Scripture, heart has to do with our emotions. It's both of these things. We don't just assume our understanding of our emotions is correct and allow it to lead us in one direction. We take it and we challenge it and we consider whether or not this is something that lines up with God. One of the great examples of this is the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Elijah had this big battle with a whole bunch of other prophets of Baal, and at the end of it, he was exhausted, he was burned out, he was drained. And so he went and threw himself a pity party. He went out and he went, God, why is it just me? Why am I the only one who's serving you? Why am I the only one who's doing the right thing? How am I the only one in all of your people who's getting it right? What was God's response? You're not. How dare you think that? Go take a nap. That's what happened. Go back and read it. Because Elijah brought his emotions before the Lord, the Lord was able to challenge him And Elijah was able to see what he really needed. That's a funny example of this, but it's an example that we need to embrace. So often our emotions take us in the wrong direction if we leave them unwieldy. But if we stop and we grab hold and we bring it before God, we're allowed to challenge it. Now, perhaps you're not hearing from God in a moment. Another thing that you can, or you're not hearing him, doesn't mean he's not speaking, but you're not hearing from, there's another great example in Scripture of how we can test these things, and it's found in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5, 16 to 25, we read this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember, desires are tied to our emotions. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, then you are not on the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and more. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit." You want to know if your desires are good and your emotions are leading you to a healthy place as a follower of Jesus, ask yourself, what is going to be the fruit if I act on this the way I think I should? If it's anything that you can find there between verses 19 to 21, it's probably not a healthy expression of that emotion. You're probably not responding to that emotion in a healthy way, in a way that is in the spirit. But if you can look at the emotion you're experiencing and consider how you want to act and it's going to lead to something that you read about in verse 22 and 23 of those verses, well then there we know that we're working in the way of the Spirit of God. Don't reject all emotion. Take it in, name it, then challenge it. Sometimes it's going to be good, sometimes it's not. God didn't give us Our emotions to confuse us. He gave them to us to help us clarify the way in which we should go as we want to follow him. Another thing that I would encourage you to do is consider bringing others in who can challenge you in this. If you don't have at least one person in your life who can challenge your emotions, you're not being smart. I will tell you, I regularly regularly need someone to stop and tell me, Kyle, what you are thinking is wrong. How you want to act out of that emotion needs to be thought about. We need those people in our lives because it helps us live in a healthier place. It helps us be assured that we're not just living out of emotion, that we're really being wise. Find somebody. Find a group of people who can help you in this. This is actually one of the reasons we really encourage people to be in community groups in the church. Because we can't just all walk around here on a Sunday morning sharing our feelings with everyone else. It's probably not a healthy way to deal with our emotions. But what is healthy is to find a group of people who you're safe with, who who care about you and love you and love the Lord and want to help you follow him. And for you to go to that place regularly, And talk about your emotions. Talk about where you find yourself leading and allow those people to be a sounding board. To allow those people to challenge your thoughts and feelings to help you live in a way that goes with the Spirit, as Paul said in Galatians. The Apostle Paul did this with Peter in the book of Acts. There's this moment where Peter started out of his own sense of emotion favoring one group of people. He felt this sense of fear and shame, and so he started rejecting one group, going towards the other. What happened? Paul came up alongside of him and said, Peter, get your head straight. Your emotions are leading you in the wrong way. You need to see things as God sees. And out of that, we see that Peter had a change of heart and it allowed for the flourishing of the early church. That happened in the early church. It still needs to continue to happen today. Find people who you... Know and trust who love you and love God and allow them to help you challenge your emotions. So we know and name our emotions, we challenge them, and then we live out of that. But the other thing we must do is prepare for our emotions. We know what emotions we exhibit particularly if we track them after naming them i'm gonna i'm gonna react this way i often end up going through this and that can change during different seasons of life and things but we often know where we can go and so what we should do if we want to better manage ourselves is to prepare for those emotions one of the ways we prepare is by studying scripture one of the greatest gifts that god has given us again is his word a living and breathing document, which is his word to us, which can help us to understand our life. Our life is made up in large parts of emotion, and emotion is connected to basically every part of life. This scripture tells about the God who has emotion, who gave emotion, who's shown how we can live perfectly in emotion. And so we ought to study this. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Look for the places where it addresses the emotions you're having. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live like Jesus. In 1 John 2, 6, we read, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. One of the great gifts that God gave us is he showed up on earth and he exhibited a whole ton of emotion and he did it flawlessly. God lived perfectly, sinlessly. Jesus showed, and B.B. Warfield summed it up this way. He said, it belongs to the truth of our Lord's humanity that he was subject to all sinless emotion. Study Jesus. Wrestle through how he lived so that you can deal with these emotions. Jesus experienced fear, anger, grief. How can I go through those things in a healthy way? Jesus did it. And he wants to guide me in it too. The other, I would really encourage you not just to read it and study, though, but to memorize it. Memorizing Scripture provides us with something inside that the Holy Spirit can recall so that we can help follow him. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're struggling with anger or anxiety, memorize scripture about anger or anxiety or grief or whatever emotion that you're going through. Bring that into your heart and mind so that when you're going through those moments, you're not struggling to find out where to go. But instead, the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, can enlighten and illuminate that scripture that's within us so that we can know where to go, how we can deal with what we feel. So study scripture, memorize it, and then prepare through prayer. We can prepare our hearts through prayer. Talking to God about our emotions is is the most effective way for many of us to deal with them. So many of us lock our emotions up or, or just let them shoot off everywhere, but rarely do we contain them and then bring them before God. But God loves to work with us and in us as we pray. I think it's one of the, the reasons why we can so easily identify and appreciate King David, who wrote many of the Psalms. King David was the biggest screw-up. I mean, the guy was an emotional roller coaster. He was a nightmare, the way he acted. Yet, Scripture still affirms him as the man after God's own heart. Why is that? Because even though David screwed up all the time, what he did learn was that if he took those moments where he'd gone wrong and he brought them before God, and if he prayed about it and sang about it and talked about it and reflected on God's word, that God would do something in his midst. One of the most famous examples, Psalm 51, verse 10, "'Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me.'" The guy had just lusted after another man's wife, slept with her, murdered her husband, And then got called out on it. He emotionally did everything wrong. But we see that as he came to God and he asked God to work, God did something in him which changed his heart from that moment on. We need to go to God with our emotions and ask him to begin to work. God, I find myself so jealous all the time. Help me desire you above all things. God, I'm really angry. Help me to forgive as you forgive. God, I'm full of joy, but it's in the wrong things. Help me to find my joy in you alone. It's not easy to manage our emotions, but if we put in the preparation and the diligence, if we wrestle with his word, if we wrestle with the spirit of God and invite him to work within us, our lives can be changed. Our emotions can be redeemed and we can take hold of the great gift that God has given us to know him, love him, and glorify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and, and Lord God, it it's challenging. Our emotions, my emotions are all over the place sometimes, Lord, and it just feels easy to just embrace them and to just run into them. But Lord God, we know that you have given them as a gift to help us to run towards you. God, I pray that emotions wouldn't be something that would be overemphasized or ignored. But Lord God, would they be something to be embraced? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we consider your word, as we consider how we can manage our emotions, Lord God, would you speak to every one of us today so that we would know how we ought to live and respond through our emotions. God, we pray for the situations in our world that are bringing up so many powerful emotions. God, we pray for what's happening in our country and all the division that's happening here. We pray for what's happening between the Russia and and Ukraine and around the world. We pray for the situations happening in India, with the situations happening in Haiti. We pray for all these different places of war and strife and, and division amongst your people. God, I pray that believers all over the world today would embrace who you are God those who are experiencing grief Lord God that it would turn them to look to you to embrace you Lord God those who are experiencing anger that they would uh, learn to channel that and surrender to help lead acts of justice and and mercy in our world God for those who are experiencing anxiety Lord that they would learn to run to you for their peace God we pray for for peace and love on earth. We pray for, for those things to intersect our lives. We pray that we would redeem all of our emotions so that we can experiencing, experience the flourishing that you want to bring. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us enough to not just keep emotion to yourself, but to extend it towards us. Lord God, now as we respond in worship to you through song, I pray that we would not just sing The words on the page, we wouldn't just think about the theology, though both of those things are good. Lord God, I pray that we would be moved by emotion, by your spirit, that we would draw close to you, that we would respond to you, that we would embrace all of who you are. And Lord God, in all of that, would your name be praised. Would you be glorified. We love you, Lord God. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.